Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 67. I call it aggressive negotiations. Or if you're going to be fancy, our X-Wing ships really like chess pieces. Tonight, we're going to kick the episode off by understanding and discussing game theory behind X-Wing. What I wanted to do is create kind of a series where we talk a little bit about game theory, what, what, how it applies, um, and kind of understand all the little itty bitty pieces that go into it, right? And then at the end of every episode, take some of what we've learned and apply it to some mechanic within X-Wing. Tonight for the series inauguration, we're going to be discussing a little bit about chess strategy and how it applies to X-Wing in particular with pilots, ships, and upgrades that are associated with it. And we're going to try to associate it with a specific chess piece, right? And the reason I picked this, right, is, is because to me, understanding what makes your ship um, special, right, or how it works inside of a list is brings you closer to winning different games, brings you closer to having fun, right? And allows you to help teach other players, you know, the inner mechanics of how X-Wing works. And the reason we kind of wanted to do this is because I, I want to have a series where we talk about list building, turn zero strategy, um, obstacle placement, objective placement, maneuvering, preparation for attacks, like an initial engagement, sustaining your health throughout the um, game, and then how do you close a game out, right? And I felt there's no real good way to do this other than to actually sit down and kind of talk through the different mechanics. So if I was working on teaching somebody, you know, game theory, you know, in terms of chess, right? So I want to teach you how does chess work? What are the different theories behind it? They're going to teach you what are opening moves. They're going to teach you about mid game. They're going to teach you about end game, right? And, and anybody that's watched the Queen's Gambit probably has a little bit of understanding without even having to study chess theory. Which I and I'll be honest, last year when I watched that, I did not know chess theory was a thing. <laughs> I found out um, it's a thing. So, you know, X-Wing is a little bit different, right? We do have, you know, um, maneuvering. We do have uh, dice variants, which is a thing. But I feel that that you can boil X-Wing down and remove some variance pieces of it to create as much of a fine-tuned experience for yourself uh, to win as possible, right? So tonight, that's what we're going to do is we're going to cover and we're going to be having a conversation about how different ships and pilots become chess pieces. And then we're going to also talk about what happens when you start adding upgrades to them. Do they become more? Do they become less? How, how does that all work? But before that, we have a guest tonight. Yes, we do. We have a guest, one of JJ's uh, locals, or used to be local. Technically, it's not his local anymore because yeah, the dude up and left Florida. And I don't blame him because I, I don't, not a big Florida fan myself. Um, I don't really like Florida much. But either which way, tonight we are going to have George on the show to talk a little bit about his list from Nova, as well as to have him help us talk through chess piece discussion. Without further ado, let me bring in my guest and my co-host for tonight. Please welcome Mr. JJ and Mr. George. How are you all doing tonight? Doing very, very well. How are you doing, George? Hey, hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and thanks for joining us. It, I, I, I hope it wasn't last minute um, that JJ tried to book you because he does that sometimes. Like Sometimes he'll be like message people at like <laughs> four in the afternoon and be like, hey, I would like you to join my show. And oh, by the way, this is what we're talking about. And people are like, what the what? What are you doing? Dude, it was. So it was like five minutes after he he finished his last match for the qualifier, and I knew that he was getting into the cut. I'm like, dude, I gotta have you on my show, bro. Congrats, man! Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was already in my hotel room, just like about to pass out. To be honest, I was like looking at the text. I was like, uh, I'll respond later. 
and just passed out. <laughs> <laughs> well, either which way, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us tonight. We um, we'll get to your list here in in just a minute, right? We're, we'll get to your list in just a minute. What I wanted to do before that, though, um, oops, I guess we're gonna get to your list now. What I wanted to do that before before that is just to kind of talk a little bit, you know, and 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 just kind of see how you how you were doing, and let's talk a little bit about your Nova experience. So, um. I didn't get to go to Nova this year because uh, there's too many conventions. It seems now for me to be able to attend all of them. Um, and it, sometimes it's not even a financial thing. Sometimes it's just like, I can't be gone like a full weekend every month from the family. It's just, there's just, it, it's nice that in person is back, but I feel like I want to go to more and I just can't do it. Yeah. Nova's great. Uh, I really enjoyed it there. Um, I think just getting to it, the, the, the location is I couldn't put in a better spot, to be honest. It's like right next to the airport. So um, in terms of like location, getting to it, access, it's great. And once you're in there, like you don't have to leave for nothing. So it's it's a good experience. Yeah. Well, that's good. And, and I always hear DC and I just think hellhole, right? Like I just think it's going to be overly priced. You're never going to be able to get anywhere. There's going to be a bunch of crazy, you know, like January 6th people down there. I just always think that like I don't want to go to DC because of that. But you're telling me if I go next year, it's not that big of a deal then. No, nah, not at all. It takes like less than 10 minutes to get from the airport. And that's if they keep it in the same location next year for sure. But um, for the most part, yeah, it takes less than 10 minutes to travel to the airport and I was in and out. I was a little bit worried getting out, but then I realized, oh, I'm getting up at like six, uh, 4 a.m. in the morning um, <laughs> to make my flight out of Nova. And I was worried because it was Labor Day weekend. And no, even that didn't hold me up. I was I was early. <laughs> and I, I ended up go, going to a Ramstein concert I had that I had tickets for for like the last like three years since COVID. So there was there was discussions about going to D.C., but I just couldn't couldn't swing it. Didn't want to give up my Rammstein concert, um, but sounds like you had a very pleasant experience uh, there. So, um, I did. so the first question I have to ask is: I went to Gen Con, and Gen Con was the first AMG type run event per se. I mean, they ran it, but they didn't run it. You know, like Dion, um, or D Dion ran like all the um, the tournament piece of it for the stream, and then D was kind of like the master head judge and stuff like that. How did Nova go? Was A was D there? I don't I didn't know if D was gonna be there or not. Um and uh, then, or uh, D D from uh Fly Better. D Oh from, no, Dune. I didn't no, we I didn't see any of the Fly Better guys there. All right, so how was the judging then? <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and 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 did AMG hire outside people to do judging or did they like supply the personnel themselves? Well, at people that I recognized, uh was Paul Heaver. Paul Heaver was there. And then I recognized, well, Chris Allen. I met Chris Allen for the first time there. Um, very cool guy. Very like just down to earth kind of guy. Like I never expected. Uh, I think my opinion <laughs> of the great personalities uh, were completely different. And once I met them, they were, they were awesome. I think they were just great people. Well, that's good. Nice. So okay, so they did hire outside or bring other outside people that knew X Wing in to to run yeah. the judging. So I feel a little bit better. So if we're gonna grade Nova and we're gonna grade AMG, so it feels like what AMG is gonna do is not bring a bunch of their own judges. They're gonna let people that have worked in the community judge for these tournaments, which is very exciting news for me because I always kind of wonder if AMG understands the rules sometimes. <laughs> 
yeah, you're always worried about that. But um, from like from what I heard and what I experienced, um, like everything ran smoothly. I couldn't have like asked for better judges, to be honest. Everybody that was there knew the rule set, knew what they were doing. They started the games on time. There was never a delay. Um, it was really real, like smooth for the most part. Just good. Because at Gen Con, one of the things that they did poorly for side events was they didn't have Dion or D or any anybody that we knew run them. They were like an outside company. And like some of those people didn't even know the 2.5 rules. So like like my yeah. buddy that I went down with him and I went together and he wanted to play on Sunday. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to or Saturday. And I'm, I was like, I'm just going <laughs> to I'm just going to chill. Like I had enough X-Wing for, you know, a, a lifetime. Um and then he 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 ended up dropping the last round because like half his opponents didn't know how to play and they, they didn't know how to judge it properly. So it's good to hear that AMG is doing something smart. Yeah, at least with that. Now, in terms of price support, did uh, did they have actually better price support um, or like a, a good amount of price support for like uh, players and stuff? They had plenty of price support for everybody. Uh, I even ended up walking out of there with some extra stuff just by standing around because they just had way too much stuff left over from like oh. previous years. So like a lot of it was like 2020 stuff, to be honest. But like, hey, it's 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 free swag. You know, why not? Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, because I, I know that one of the complaints that we heard from coming out of Gen Con was that there wasn't actually much at all um, mm -hmm. to give out in terms of like cards and stuff. So it's always good when you at least you have something to take away from the event, whether you make it to the top cut or not, you know, just being able to go home and have like that, that exclusive like card or alt art uh, to take home is, is nice that they, uh, that they provided that. So that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. The side events also had some really good stuff too, that you wanted to play. Like I didn't, after like the second day or whatever, um, after I got eliminated, they had to talk me into it and then they showed me like the prizes and I was like, all right, fine. I'll keep playing. <laughs> <laughs> so well, that's good. good. That 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 gives me hope going forward because you know I I I did have like a legitimate concern you know just based on um, on some of the people that I talked to that went over to Gen Con um, on how they were talking about that there was a lack of price support for that. I was just worried that that was going to be a trend going forward with AMG, but hearing that they did um, support Nova properly um, with you know prices and actual side events. Uh, being run um, and them actually reaching out to different experienced players to um, to help run those events uh, is, is definitely uh, uh, reassuring that the AMG is is uh, making sure that they take care of that aspect of the tournament because you you want to make sure that you know not only the people that are making to the cut get taken care of you want everybody to that actually attends the event to have a great time so yeah that's yep. great absolutely. All right. Any other last thoughts on Nova? And if not, we can kind of get into your list uh, and go through your list real quick. For me, nothing. Like it was just a great experience. I, I definitely re recommend uh, Nova for sure. So anybody who's thinking about it on a, on the on the fence, maybe for next year, just do it. Just just do it. It's easy to get into because, like I said, location wise, they picked the perfect place, and yeah, it's it runs smoothly. And I've been to That's it right. twice, so it's like the even the year before it was like a memorable experience where like it I forget who was judging that time. I think it was um frontline gaming that was running the events there. Um and they did an okay job as well. So it's it was it was smooth both times. Awesome. <clears throat> All right, so let's talk a little bit about your list. You changed it up a little bit since uh you 
won our planning phase syndicate inaugural event here in July. I'm pretty sure this is slightly different than what you originally had run. Um, cause I don't remember lone wolf on Django. Uh, I did. I, I actually did have lone wolf on Django on there last time. Um, it's one of those upgrades too. Now that we're on it, it's one of those upgrades too that I'm I'm actually thinking about changing. To be honest. Okay. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So let's go through your list, and why don't, why don't you go through the list real quick, George, and and run it down, and then talk about what the changes were from the planning phase list to this one, and we can kind of go from there. Um, I think it was the same exact list, if I remember correctly. Um. Yeah, I don't think I made any changes. I can't. I don't. To be honest, it's like it's been a couple of months now since the planning phase. Uh, but starting from the bottom, I mean, uh, had the two vulture crest, uh, vulture droids there. One is DFS um, <clears throat> or Doofus, rather. Uh, the hyena class bomber um, with the uh, where is it? Where is it? Did I mess this up? I think I messed it up when I gave it to you. I think I'm sorry. I don't have Discord missiles on them. I should have um, uh, proxy mines on them. So I apologize for that. Uh, okay. That's the wrong droid. <laughs> I put, I created was the that wrong a, droid. a bombardment? Yes. Yeah, was bombardment it a bombardment drone? drone? Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> and then Grievous with like a typical loadout of Outmaneuver, Impervium, Soulless One, and uh, Django Fett with Lone Wolf, Thermal Detonators, Slave One title. Uh, Savage, false codes, transponders, uh, veteran tail gunner, and delayed fuses is what I've been playing with mostly. So, um, yeah, that's better. Sorry about that. No, nope, you're fine. <clears throat> nice. So from um, so from what I know is that you uh, you did very well on, on your uh, on your day one, and then you ended up um, going to the top sixteen against uh, crispy as i understand it um how did that game work out for you i know that he was running his famous uh yeah. uh well i think i mean where i ended up like i, I almost saw it coming i was like oh man i'm gonna end up going against crispy <laughs> he's uh <laughs> he's a uh, number one seed and i was like um okay well i at least prep for it um i did face a similar list before that um that on the day before so like uh, which was Andrew Cox. Um, I played him, and that was that was a tough game as well, just because just just FOs in general, the FO bombers in general, they're tough to deal with. They're they're really tough to predict. Uh, you know what exactly they're gonna do. Um, you're always gonna get hit with a chaff cloud, so it's like no way to avoid it. <laughs> uh, so you yeah. kind of have to like just tough it out and and hope you survive. Um, and wish for the best rolls uh, after after all, but it didn't work out like that with Crispy's game. Crispy's game was he's very very um, he's been you can tell he's had a lot of experience. He's ran multiple games with that list, um, definitely more experience than I've had with mine, um, and that showed in our game. I think I got way too much in my head um, in our game facing this list again. Um, so yeah, it just didn't didn't work out the way that I was planning. <laughs> Okay. I think um, I locked myself other... in like a corner with with Django for far too long, and like by the time I got him into the fight, like it was just like too late. It was um, assault, and he already generated enough points to like pretty much win on auto. 
auto rounds, yeah, just from, keeping ships close enough to yeah. the objective. So, yeah. So, um, during your day one, did you encounter any lists that um, that you thought might uh, that were interesting or anything like that, and that catch your eye? Um, I think both of the games on stream that I played against um, were definitely lists that I was uh, not prepared for. Um, I, I expected to see a lot of Imperial lists going to Nova. Um, so I prepped myself like self mentally with that. And then, you know, FO's, uh, list as well. Um, but <laughs> there was one list where it was like, I, I think it was a Boba Fett, uh, the Mandalorian and, and Kanan Jarrus that list. I don't know if you saw it on stream, but it, it was yes. a very, very tanky list. And yeah, it almost had me on tilt <laughs> at some point uh, <laughs> when Kanan just wasn't not dying. Um, everything I threw at I remember like, that. Just yeah, I remember seeing that that game, and my goodness, that Kanan was just just tanking so many shots. Uh, but man, you you pulled that out. That was a that was a very good match. Thanks. And I, you know, I was putting myself in bad situations too, like bringing in my droids, taking them off the rocks. They got hit with like you know the the the. Um, I forgot the name of the bomb, but they get hit with bombs. <laughs> so they dropped the crates and like, it was just a mess. But ultimately, like you kind of saw it towards the end where like I was envisioning Kanan going towards that top uh, edge and my two drones just came around and like pincered him with the Discord missiles. And there was no way yeah. he was going to survive. There was that, no so. way. Yeah, the double Discord. That was fantastic. That was great. I love yeah. it. And I'm glad that Django survived because he was he was bleeding. Yeah, he was. He had like two hole left. I remember. Yeah, jeez. And then um, that last list that I played against um, was also caught my attention. Um, I think it were it was one of those games that could have gone very differently um, according to initiative uh, road rules. Man, that that changes the game a lot. Had I not had the initiative on some of those rounds, I think uh, it would have been a different game. Yeah. And I think one of the things, you know, like, so I have, I've, I have some experience with your list a little bit. Um, I've actually been running that more with the, um, with four droids than just the, the three, but I've recently been playing more bombers and I found that I feel the bombers, um, live longer, no matter what, they can't get one shotted almost ever. Like, unless it's like, Unless it's some crazy like Luke shattering shot, trick shot, crap shenanigans, then then they still can. You know, I, I have had that happen to uh, a droid, so, um, especially because they land in rocks. But so to me, the interesting call here, and, and I, I was going to ask you because it used to be Django had a staple. It was either Pelp or Dooku, and and especially if you're only running one fire spray, it was almost always Dooku. Since they made the rules change, I've been running Savage Press. Um, almost consistently instead of over Dooku because that gives me four points I can then throw back into something else. Have you found less of a need to have Dooku or Pelp in your squad um, over the long run of things? Or do you find that your squad has been hurt enough that you might want to start moving back towards that? I think um, ultimately I am going to experiment with that direction. This is what I started off with is using Savage. Um, but I think ultimately dropping Lone Wolf in the long run is the move. Um, I was thinking about putting uh, Notorious on there. Um, 
and then maybe palp over dooku is what my thought was that it and we'll see how that goes uh, obviously i'll have to either decide on whether to also keep thermals because i'm also toying with the thermals uh with proximity but that would mean that i would also have to drop veteran tail gunner so there's a lot of choices there that i would have to decide on um so i don't know <laughs> so um i i do like the idea of notorious on django the only thing that I have an um like the only combo that i really see that is because it, so hang on first things first so notorious uh, while i do like the upgrade itself it is a little harder on an initiative six because you're always shooting first so you don't get to take advantage of it obviously your droids or grievous can take advantage of that strain assuming that you you know coordinate that attack um but what i've been liking is the combination of palpatine um, in addition to notorious um because if you happen to have them at range two you can spend that force and use that to strain and stress your opponent yeah. um, after the attack, which would be actually really, really nice. Um, but at the same time, it's like um, you also want that force for defense. So, I mean, it's situational, um, but I, I do like the Compodentorius with Pau. Yeah. I've tested it out um, just a couple times. Um, it was interesting, and it's sort of like also with Palp throwing out stresses out there on those, you know, you kind of have a little bit of control of what your opponent's going to do. Um, you know, somebody can't just like K turn on you, uh, you know, with a red anyways, red maneuver. Um, you know, they have to do the blue maneuvers. You can control it a little bit. Yeah. It's a lot easier for your droids to get in there and, and get some shots in if it's a high agility ship too. So. Yeah. I like it. I have, I will tell you, I have been playing a little bit different Grievous as well. I have been putting a trick shot and shield upgrade on Grievous, and I think it's fun. I'll be honest. Um, it's different. Um, you have to, you fl you can fly Grievous differently, but I've actually found that in a game, outmaneuver gets off once or twice typically before somebody gets really annoyed and does not let that happen any longer. Um, if I'm really lucky, it'll get off at all the time, but usually that doesn't happen. Um, but I found with the trick shot and the shield upgrade, obviously the shield upgrade 100% always works. Like it's it's just now I've got I've got almost a fire sprays worth of because you have your five hull and three shields. You have you have eight health now, so you're mm -hmm. so close to that fire spray. Plus, if the crit if they roll crits, it, now you've got um, two more health, and you are literally a mini fryer spray like for five points like it's just insane to me um and i hope they don't change grievous so anyway um but i've been running the, the trick shot i found i get off um every other round roughly depending on where obstacles are placed though but i found especially when i start my grievous on one side of my jangle on the other side they have to pick who they're coming in towards or split their forces and if they split their forces usually i'm going to dodge in between rocks and kind of go over to help jango and, you know, if if they don't, you know, do and they all come in on me, then, you know, I'll slow roll and let Django come in and, you know, just hope Grievous tanks it and doesn't die. Right. Um, yeah. But I have found I tried Debris Gambit. I tried Debris Gambit. It just doesn't. It, <laughs> it, 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 it makes you very predictable or you're always stressed. And I hate being stressed with Grievous for an evade. But the, yeah. but I have found that that was nice. Um, if you can get your obstacle set just right and get Grievous just in there kind of the same way Pelp is, you can um, take advantage of that evade a lot, like insane mm -hmm. amount. 
Yeah, I can see that too. Um, I personally just I, I lean towards outmaneuver um, just because like there's there's just something about it you, you can't turn it off, right? Like so, your opponent can can ignore it, um, and if he does, then it's kind of you know he's he's setting up himself for failure. Uh, I also like it for going up against opponents that have a lot of ships, like Thai, um, like a lot of Tie Fighters, for example, where I just sent Grievous on a hunt for Tie Fighters, basically, and he's usually able to. Uh, pop one or two yeah well and the nice thing about grievous is you can sloop and not worry about that focus as long as you're not getting shot at like who cares yeah. right because i'm just gonna i'm gonna sloop and i'm gonna take the uh you know re-rolls from being behind you plus you yeah. get one less green dice yeah well all right well cool well thank you that i think I, I don't have anything else for nova unless you or jj do um you well, know uh i i have liked your list we were very happy to have you win the event and uh it's nice to see the list is still doing well and giving hope to separatist players all over the world. Yeah, one of the few, apparently. Uh, there was only <laughs> two for my day, I guess, and I was the one that made the cut. And I was like, oh my gosh, the only separatist player. <laughs> yeah, so that's that just crazy to me. Yeah. I think there's there. I think since they did the points adjustment stuff, there's some crazy stuff that you can do. I have a secret sauce list. Maybe I'll share with you after the show or something like that. Yeah, um, I have I, I have been playing it and it's weird, but I'm literally six and zero with it. So I've only played six games with it, but I am six and zero with it. So as long as it's separatist, I'm good. It yeah. is well, it is a hundred percent. It's a janky separatist list. It's, this guy at my local built it with me, and like seriously, it's like oh, um, all right. And actually, you know, maybe 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 we'll go through it to, if we have time. Maybe we'll go through it tonight after we do our chess analysis, right? Maybe that would actually <laughs> yeah. be a good discussion point. Um, I guess because I'm not planning planning on using it this weekend at um, the GSP thing. But if anybody wants to run a separatist list in the GSP thing, that's really crazy. Let me know and uh, they can happily do it. So, all right. Let's move on to our next segment. So as I said at the start of the show, um, and, and thank you, welcome Nick and anybody coming from Nick's uh, 312 Squadron. Um, if you were watching earlier, you got to see me run a um, separatist list. Uh, earlier tonight anyway so that was a, i got to run a zam list that was that was fun and it's funny because the week before i ran a zam list as well um because we had to pick a pilot we hadn't played in forever which i picked zam because i haven't flown you don't fly zam at nine points you very rarely fly zam um but yeah. i got to run zam two weeks in a row so that's kind of I, I i feel like taking zam out of the box and putting zam back on the table tomorrow at my locals but i probably get yelled at I mean, she is really, really good. I mean, the the uh, the last NJ or the last uh, match I had with the uh, with Nickel City uh, Zam just was a powerhouse. I think she's. I mean, I get that the nine points hurts. I mean, she's the equivalent of Defender Vader in terms of cost. Yeah. But man, can she put out some damage, man? Oof. Yep. All right. Anyway, so we wanted for our main segment was to have a conversation a little bit about chess theory and the chess theory origins right you know so if we talk about like chess theory has been going on since i don't know like i'm going to just say 1500s right i think that's a good guess that at least that's at the current time it started getting documented about it um and essentially the way chess theory works is you kind of it, it gets broken down into essentially three different types of strategies and then each of those strategies has different tactics that kind of flow in between them so you obviously you have your opening maneuver. Your second strategy is your middle game. And then you have your end game, which, okay, that all sounds good and fine. That sounds logical, kind of plain, simple, yada, yada, yada. But I've 
one of the things that I, when I came from Star Wars Destiny was there was a strategy, there was a theory to how you build your decks and what your decks do. Kind of the same with like, like Magic the Gathering. You have burn decks, you have um, commander decks, which everybody seems to love, monster decks, all these different, th- different styles of decks and how they interact with other decks across the table from them. In X-Wing, we have a little bit more uniqueness, more closer to what chess is, right? Every chess piece has a set maneuver and can only do that type of maneuver. In X-Wing, we have these ships that can do set maneuvers, um, and then they can do fancy maneuvers based on you know their abilities and uh, taking stress and all these other things. So I thought, well, chess and X-Wing seem pretty similar, right? They, they Logically, you can make the connect between um, the two. And I so I, I started doing research about eight, nine months ago when uh, Queen's Gambit came out on chess theory, just because I found it interesting. I just, I love that show. I thought that show was great. And and I really wanted to get into like chess theory and say, hey, maybe I should play competitive chess. I have since found that I don't feel the ability to spend my dedicated time <laughs> playing chess. I don't find it as fun as I find next wing. Um, so I'm not going to do that, but the theories still apply. And so if we go through and we kind of talk about, well, there's different ways to construct the different phases inside of these different tactics. Right. And, and you have, you talk about opening knowledge. You could talk about tactics or combinations. You could talk about position analysis. You could talk about long-term plans, long-term goals that you have, and then your basic mate strategies. And that doesn't mean the um, dirty mating piece of it it actually means how do you capture and conquer the king um so then i sat down and said okay well if we think about x-wing we have what's called like turn zero right turn zero is essentially the way to kind of maximize your hypothetical and potential probability to win a game it is not going to guarantee you the game but it will increase your statistical probability of how you win the game. And if you go through chess theory, it's very similar. There's hundreds of different opening maneuvers, right? That you can do, and they all have different fancy names and we're not going to get into every chess opening maneuver. Don't worry. Um, this is not a chess <laughs> podcast. Um, in, in case I've lost anybody so far. Um, <laughs> sorry, this is nerdy geeky shit. I get, I get really into this stuff. And like the last podcast I used to have was like a political one where I could get into like statistics and super detailed analysis so now that i'm doing x-wing i have to like merge my two loves and like somehow put them together (laughs) um and i love statistics anyway so (laughs) your zero churn is kind of where you can maximize where your engagement is and it's kind of the same way in chess like when you start out your opening engagement how you present yourself where you want to maneuver decides your base strategy and while i sat there and thought about that i really wanted to get into turn zero but then I felt that it seemed a little silly, right? Because Churn Zero talks about setting up objectives, right? Where do you want to place them? It talks about um, where do you place your scenario markers? Where, where are you going to fly your ships? How do you know where you're going to put them? And then where is your ship placement going to be? Plus your opening two to three churn maneuvers, right? And so then I sat there and said, okay, well, that's all good and fine. And Churn Zero is super important. But what we have to do is take a step back and look at the pieces that are on the board. And if we talk about list building, which we did, I think, three weeks ago, we talked a little bit about list building. And I feel like we didn't do a good service to it in the long run, only because of the fact that when we talk about these things, we didn't actually look at all the different pieces in the chess game, right? We didn't look at all the different pieces or ships, how they interacted, how they maneuvered, what happens when you give them 
um, upgrades and all of that. So I said tonight, what I really wanted to do was understand how all the pieces work and how they benefited, how they can be used in turn zero and, and kind of start assigning different pieces um, that we can put on the table to what chess pieces are. So what we're going to do is JJ's going to bring up and he's going to bring up our lovely cards. I think that's what you're going to do, JJ. Yes. I think that's what yep. you're going to do. That's it. And I'm going to switch our screen. That way you can see the cards that we have. So can you bring up a, um, a vulture droid? Bring up the base Trade Federation drone and then bring me up a holochrone droid, please. And then we're going to start. We're going to start by defining each of the different chess pieces. So the first chess piece that comes to every, should come to everybody's mind, right, is the fact that you have a pawn. And I'm okay if we want to actually pick a pawn out of every one of the uh, factions. I'm okay with that too. Um, now I don't think every faction has pawns, but I do believe that there are. <laughs> they're probably there, right? Can I request less Roger Rogers? Nobby, you can absolutely, but I think that's silly though, right? Um, and so the so we're gonna we're gonna talk through that. The other thing I want to point out real quick, and I know I've been talking a lot and I haven't given anybody else an opportunity um a lot, but what I want to do is bring up the fact that like kind of like what Nobby says, right? So Nobby, holy crap, those cards are huge, JJ, by the way. Um <laughs> yeah. So what Nobby, oops, what Nobby was saying is the fear fact that what we have is um, you can have different pieces to create a, a chessboard. And that's that's why X-Wing is so amazing, right? Is because you don't have to put pawns in your list. That's really small now. Um, <laughs> can you make it bigger? You don't yeah. have to put just pawns in your list. You don't have to put um, you don't have to put eight pawns in your list, right? It, that's the idea. That's the, Thank you. That's good. So that's ex <laughs> you're killing me with that A-Wing there. Um, it's all for <laughs> Nobby, man. It's all for Nobby. <laughs> so the idea though is a pawn is worth essentially one point value in chess terms right it's your lowest value piece you always get eight of them on each side and these are the pieces that are designed to do obstructing blocking and trapping your own opponents into incorrect moves right that's what they're there for they're low pointed ships they don't do a heck of a lot um you really can't usually put a lot of upgrades on them and I know AMG kind of has made like a little bit of a difference, right? Like they now give us millions of um, upgrades uh, that we didn't. <laughs> we used to be able to pick and choose. For example, how often did you trade Federation joints? And I, George, I'll ask you this. When back in 2.0, how often did you outfit trade Federation joints with a bunch of stuff? Outside of grappling struts. Nope, nothing. Yeah, they were naked. They were just bare naked you didn't do anything with them yeah. you took it because i was like it's a body that's uh what what, what were they 19 points they were 19 points yeah they were 19 points yeah. 200 yeah. you could put eight naked things in there and like have points to give your opponent <laughs> um anyway so sorry i'm i'm detracting i'm going back to good old 2.0 days um so anyway so we go back and we talk about pawns and pawns are used essentially as a base tool, right? So our base tool is meant to obstruct, to block, to do all those other different things. So now I'm going to kind of turn it over to the boys to say, hey, what are your thoughts like on pawns? Like where, where do you see the difference? Um, is there different techniques or different ships that can be considered a pawn that maybe are not just the two point fillers like we have up on the screen? Uh, George, I'll let you go first. 
Um, I'm probably worse than going to this. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pass it on to you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so um so yeah they're absolutely uh very similar to for like pawns and chess um in next wing here um specifically when we look at the vultures here for the the separatist alliance um uh, because of their dial um they move very much like a pawn right the, their best moves are going to be the ones that go straight or doing the hard turns um so uh, when you're when you're thinking about how you're going to move those particular pieces in the board um they they're very one-dimensional, I would like to say, um, in terms of how they move, um, because the fr their fragility, uh, you know, their low health that they have on them and low defensive nature, um, they they are not pieces that you typically expect to win one-on-one -on -one matches against, like some of the bigger ships, um, because they're very fragile. Um, so they're very good, especially in 2.5, to get objectives or to set up blocks on your opponents for your bigger hitting ships to come in, like your knights pieces or your uh, your rook pieces. And I'm using analogies for like the different ships, of course. Um, and, uh, and and that's what they're there to do. They're there to uh, go forward. Um, they're basically your fodder that you're going to send in to try to uh, gum up your enemy's uh, position, uh, try to get objectives while they're at it. And if they happen to take out um, a, a better ship than then, then that's great. That's a bonus. But they're mainly there just to go in, try to grab something, gum up, and uh, and just try to be a nuisance um, to try to get in the way. Yeah, basically, you're not you're not you're okay with losing some. Like you're not, it's not the end of the world if you lose a couple of pawns, basically. Yeah. So now I have a question. So for example, they the Trade Federation drone has no loadout points. So if you're new to the show or you're new to, to X-Wing, right? The way that the points are built is we have a 20-point structure. And then from our 20-point structure, we have what's called loadout points. And they don't count towards your overall, overall points. And games go to 20, right? And so what happens is as you're building your list, your specific um, ship and pilot will get a set of loadout points that you're able to build anything you want that's on a restricted list. Um, and Trade Federation drones currently now have zero loadout points, whereas the Holocron droid, which has an ability, gets four points of loadout, and those are all free. So the first question I have, George, right, is is if I give the Holocron droid a Discord missile or a cluster missile, which is what I ran today, or um, if I give it a um, what you call it, a um energy shell does that change that holocron drone from a pawn to another ship or do we still kind of consider that a pawn because it's still a three health ship that's kind of like fodder yeah ultimately i think i think it still falls into the pawn category um yeah I, I, it doesn't change anything for the a droid anyways a drone okay <laughs> Well, like I said, I just wanted to make sure before, you know, we, we went too far because I think that's, like I said, that's the big, the big thing there, right? It is that we have people that, or we have some drones that get abilities now and have the different things. But really in reality, when we talk about fodder and blocking, an I-1 is going to be. How about this I-3 Green Squadron Expert? I believe they are, are they four points still? Uh, yes, they are. Ugh. You could be a glorified pawn. I like that word, that terminology, but still a pawn. Yeah, still a pawn. Yeah. 
Yep. So how about that green green squadron extra? Do you feel that's a pawn? Yeah, absolutely. I think that currently right now, um, they because of the low loadout, um, not being able to equip um, like high hitting ordnance. Um, yeah, sure. You could put like an ion torpedo or sorry, an ion missile onto them to like help give like that status effect onto your enemy. Um, but without that big hit potential, um, just chipping away with two dice. Um, sure, and they're they're hard to take down, but at the same time. In this game with objectives, you can't exactly stay flying away all the time with the RZ2 A-Wings um, and expect to take out your opponents um, that have probably bigger guns and can possibly, uh, you know, take you out. Because green dice can fail you at any time and, and that can pretty much take out your A-Wing at any point. Um, so, yeah, I would still consider them a better pawn, um, but they're still a pawn. Okay. So they're a pawn that's worth a little bit more, but probably not worth four points. They're probably worth three yeah. points. Um, yeah. And ANG just doesn't know how to price things appropriately. Um, how about Merrill? Marl? Merrill? Marl? However you say the, the uh, Cobbin. Cobin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's a pawn with special powers. I mean, Merle, Merle can uh, can definitely make a bigger, like, uh, rooks and bishops feel like a pawn <laughs> when she gets them in the in the arc. Um, but, yeah, definitely really good. All right. And so before we move on from pawns, the last couple I threw up there was an ISB Jingoist and an and Iden, right? Um, and, and I think I think if we talk there, I think there's a, there's kind of a little bit of a difference here, and that's kind of what I wanted to to to, to, to go through, right? So this Black Squadron Ace um, here has no special ability. It is an I three, but it's really just out there to die for the most part. Even though it does have three agility, it is out there to die. We look at an ISB Jingoist; they bring a little bit more of a caveat. They don't have any charges but they get three loadout points that give them illicit. And then they turn around and can give out anything at range zero to one, a strain, or they have to, somebody has to remove a green token. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. I almost make them into like a knight type piece. And my reason for that is that they have the potential to affect their opponent, um, their their opponent's stats, right? Either by removing a token or by giving them a strain. And if your opponent ends up taking a strain, um, it, it, it makes a huge difference, especially when you're thinking about like a more acier ship um, that has high agility to help them evade a lot of shots. That strain token makes that two dice feel a little more powerful. Um, and even if they decide to not take a shot on that, leaving that strain on that particular ship, can lead another uh, another ship to hit that that particular ship a little bit harder um, in uh, in the wake, or at least uh, taking away that token, so that way it could potentially take more damage from a future shot. Um, so for that particular reason, because of its ability, I think it actually goes into uh, like a knight category. So, uh, so I will challenge the knight category in a minute, but you're 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 basically saying it moves into a different category, right? Yes. Um. So now when we talk about Merle, though, Merle also reduces your your dice. Why is Merle right. not part of that category as well? Because it is initiative one, and it is a little more difficult to reliably do that with Merle uh, versus a Jingoist that can either bump and still take that and do uh, take another shot somewhere else. Um, and you're able to essentially get two Jingoists for the same price as Merle. So they're they're doubly effective than Merle could be. Uh, 
Yeah. So, okay. All right. Now we talk about Aiden. Aiden allows you to spend a charge to live, essentially. You cancel a full-on attack. So you get one extra life. So does that take Aiden out of that pawn category? Or do we just leave Aiden still in the pawn category? She's a queen. She's, She's a queen, a... in my opinion. Oh, I, I... All right. We're going to so, we'll put a pin in that one. I... <laughs> I say that she's a, uh, a, I will call her a bishop with an asterisk because she's good right now because of her, right? She has the loadout to help uh, equip a cannon, uh, which can help her punch really hard, uh, much better than any TIE fighter. And that's what makes her really, really good. Her ability is a very nice bonus as well to help her prevent damage. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would probably consider her more of a bishop type than a queen um because the double reposition is, i think is is a requirement to be a queen for that so <laughs> yep um no i agree with you on the bishop part uh for her yeah she's more specialized so i think definitely falls in that category yes okay so good so we've kind of defined where that pawn threshold is it has to be some sort of ability you want it to be a blocker I4 is not typically a blocker, so that kind of is why we're ruling ISP Jinguis out of a pawn category. Then you look at your different initial or your different you know abilities, and the ISP Jinguis offers a special ability that's a little bit over the top. Whereas like a Gideon Hass just gets to roll you know one extra die, right? And that really doesn't take him out of that pawn category. It just makes him a little bit more valuable of a pawn. Um, now. Let's talk about knights and bishops because both in, in, ch in the chess world, and I guess I should have explained this earlier, when we talk about value, when I give a value rating, the reason we have value ratings is because when you trade pieces in chess, you want to be able to make sure you're trading over your acquired amount or for a better position. So for example, you would never trade a queen, which is a value of nine in chess, for a pawn unless you knew within two moves you have checkmate on your opponent you would never do that you just wouldn't would not want to do that um which i don't know if they actually have any maneuvers in chess where you give up your queen to get checkmate i don't know um so <laughs> i don't think that yeah, i don't think it's that, possible it, it's probably possible but i don't i've never seen that in in a theory so there you go maybe that should be your homework for today is to find that <laughs> chess. where do we give up the queen it's not called queen's it, <laughs> all right anyway <laughs> Um, so, so the idea behind knights and bishops, and we're going to talk about both of them, I think, at the same time, because they both fit into that three-point value in a chess, but they both do different things. So a knight is considered a minor piece on the board and has unique movements, allowing them to capture and churn the tide in some sort of a game without being missed if you lose them, right? Or exchange them. They also function as somewhat of a blocker, a little bit so they're a little bit more of a blocker than they are um than they can be so for example because they have weird movements they do l-shaped movements all across the board it gives them a, a, an ability to get in places that are less um less scripted i guess is the nicest way to say it um over other pieces right they're usually the most forgot about piece in chess when it comes to what maneuver they can do um and they can be highly highly dangerous on the other hand, a bishop is considered a minor piece as well, right? Because it is worth three points, but they're different than knights. Bishops move as a patrol piece. They're there to screen, which is a little bit different than obstructing. They're there to um, help keep other players in check for different abilities, right? 
and they can provide incredible spike damage, and, and that's an X-Wing term, but they can provide incredible um, damage output to make a player miserable if they miscalculate. The knight is usually that secret where somebody forgets something based on his movement, whereas a bishop, you know how the bishop moves? You really don't, you really shouldn't miss a bishop. <laughs> you, you, you shouldn't yeah. miss it when, you, when a bishop is there, but if you do, the bishop's going to come in and it's going to punish you. They're predictable, but they can be more formidable because of the of how they move and how far they can move on a board. So for those who don't know how to play chess, a bishop moves on a diagonal. You get two of them. They go on each different color, and they essentially can cover the whole board. Now, let's talk. Let's go back. And this is where when we talked about Aiden, right? We said Aiden is a more of a bishop piece, right? Yes, and yep. I would agree with that because she's used as a screen. She can hit you really hard um, when she wants to. And she doesn't like to die when you want her to die. Or she tells another ship they're not going to die when you want them to die either. Whereas, who did you call out for a knight? The Jingoist. Whereas, you say a Jingoist is a knight. I feel a Jingoist is a bishop. I And I'll, I'll give my reasoning here. In a second, and then we can talk about what knights what knights are. You can rebut me, whatever culture book. But yeah. a jingoist, just because of their ability, you know it's coming. You know if you get in range zero to one, you know what's going to happen. You know that they're going to screen you. They have predictable movements. They are not double repositioning ships. Therefore, to me, they're more of a bishop because they're they're more maybe a control bishop. They're there to control where you're going to go on the board because, again, if I move my pawn here, you're going to come up and get it here. I guess I should bring a chessboard up, but you're going to move a pawn here. You're going to bring a bishop up, and it's going to obliterate that pawn if there's nothing else there to get that bishop. Um, so that's why, to me, a jingoist fits more into the bishop category than the knight category. Well, I mean, the other thing I think about is that when you boil down the concept of a knight, right, the, the it's most effective is when it's attacking indirectly, right, because it does that L shape, right? Uh, the jingoist has that same ability, right, because it's, it, it's able to still provide a string to a, uh, to a single target, um, effective at range zero, um, and still attack a different target, and the original target that received that string or, or had the token removed has now suffered the uh, can now potentially suffer the effects from another ship that's going to come in. So if that jingoist wasn't there um, to remove or restrain, then um, then there's a higher probability that that particular ship that would um, that would have received that either one of those conditions um, would have a higher chance of surviving an attack from a different ship. So it does provide more of a benefit. Yes, you can use the jingoist ability and still attack that very same ship. Um, very useful at range one, uh, but at range zero, I think that's where it fits more of that knight role. And in in the current meta, where it's, it, you do get that clash in the center when you're contesting objectives between different ships, um, I feel that it, it does fit that role more than a bishop would um, because of that. I guess the issue I have with that is that they are predictable. You know what they're going to do. If you're the one that puts yourself in that way, you're you're getting what you expect. Right. All right, so let's talk about knights then a second. What would you consider a knight? Um, a knight, probably ships that can that can affect other ships indirectly, right? Um, oh. 
a Commandant Goron on uh, on the Empire and the Tyne Interceptor, just being able to remove a red token uh, for um, for one of its friendlies and provided a uh, a green token and evade is very very strong. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you could do a uh, you can remove like an enemy target lock and still give it that, or you remove a stress and do that. And I think that's something that's a, a very much of a knight type move. Because knights are also using to protect uh, other uh, other pieces in chess, um, so it's um, I, I think that's that would qualify for like a knight type character. George, how about, what, what do you think a knight is? Like, what do you what do you feel? Well, I need to brush up on my chess uh, <laughs> knowledge, but <laughs> uh, to me, um, I think I, it, in the way that I would use a knight would probably be something. Uh, your approach is a little bit more indirect. So if I think of a knight, I'm thinking more of like something that's coming towards you from uh, from your flank, perhaps. Uh, maybe like something like an interceptor, I think falls more in the category of uh, a knight. Yeah. All right. So in my world, like to me, the knight is going to be something that can reposition, right? It's going to be something that is it maybe not reposition, reposition, but is going to be... Um, more volatile-ish, um, such as like an HMP droid, right? Drone. You get you get an HMP. An HMP can side slip every other turn, no matter what. An HMP has weird um, upgrades that allows it to um, be defensive, allows it to be a neutral uh, piece on the board that doesn't let other things die, because um, it has attack relay on most of them. Or it could be offensive with um, multi-missile pods. Not really. Um, but it could be offensive with uh, sync laser cannons or any sort of other missiles. And its ability lets you re-roll based on how many target locks are on those, those things. So to me, the knight is going to be that weird position that's a, a protectorate. You know? So I think Commander Goron kind of fits that. I think Nash Rindwider fits that very well. It's, it's, it's a protectorate piece. Um where it's sitting there, usually you don't put those in harm's way to say, here, kill this thing, because you put Nash or Goron in the way, they will die. They're typically at the back of the squads or off to the side. Um, I also see Braylon um, as a knight, and I say that because Braylon, uh, the, well, the way those things work is a lot of BS, um, in my opinion, <laughs> but um, a B-Wing has the ability to be a knight because a B-Wing has some very unique maneuvers, Right. They have what two talons, one K's. Uh, what are the other turnaround maneuver? Those are the only two, right? That they have. Yeah, yeah the one talon, the two K's. Yeah. Yep. And so they have those, but they all of a lot of their abilities have to do with using stress. They're very um, low agility, so you can take them off the board pretty easily. But they have like a decent amount of health. I mean, eight health is nothing to shy away from. You aren't going to one shot a B wing unless. Um, you somehow can shatter, shattering shot, trick shot that thing and get a cha crit chain going. Um, other than that, you're not killing a B wing in one with one hit, you know. Um, but they do die pretty easily. Um, I see Braylon is because when Braylon defends or performs an attack, if you're stressed, you get to reroll dice. You know, they are maneuverable, so they have the ability to kind of do sideways maneuvers as needed. Um, you, they have loadout points where you could put a afterburners on them, um, which JJ was very fond of for a long time. Um, that was his favorite thing other than throwing bombs, which he's a dirty cheater for doing, um, or a coward. <laughs> That's what Greg calls you is a coward. Hey, I got it. 
community. I did it. You did not. <laughs> um, so there you go. So that, that's kind of how I see nice. So now if we want to talk, let's talk about other ships, right? And then how they fit into that. So let's go ahead and we're going to clear off the Gene Ocean. Uh, we're going to clear off Nash and Braylon. So I, I brought Slider up and we're going to, the Slider essentially is the same. Every other churn it can do is side sloop. But that's it. Other than that, Slider really isn't that piece. Like really when you think about Z95s, most of the time they are pawns in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Agreed. But but this C95, I feel, could possibly fit in a crappily um uh we'll call it a bad a bad night, right? Like it's a night to some extent. Night. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it's just not the best night that you could have. But in that faction that has no such thing as side slipping, how often are people gonna forget that that thing can move to the side? I know I did at least three times against Sean. Yeah. So yeah, it can happen a few times, yeah. Now we have Sarisu, right? Sarisu says, while a friendly ship at zero to one defends, it may re-roll one of its defense dice. Do you consider a Sarisu, George, a knight or a bishop? Or does it not fit in any of those categories? Hmm. I would probably consider it a knight. Yeah. Because it provides the defensive re-rolls? And, you can, and it has the uh, potential output to destroy you, yeah. but it's not a gatekeeper. You're not screening with it. Typically it is meant as a, it, it is a piece that dies pretty easily. So like if we're being I, honest, I actually would consider Sarisu a rook. Um, and the, the rain, the, eh, the main reason why is that typically in chess, one of the most common moves is, is a castle maneuver, right? Where you can move over your, your knight or sorry, your king, two spaces and then your rook over it so that way you essentially protect it from the sides at an angle right um and the the uh the rook is there essentially to protect your your critical piece which is your king in chess sarisu kind of fits that bill here because its ability to provide the defensive re-rolls to everybody that's at range one of it so if you have a critical piece that you need uh, to survive having that reroll on defense helps keep that important piece alive. Um, so that way you're able to last a little bit longer and potentially kill other ships. Um, so I, I feel because of the, the defensive benefit and also having the ability to reach long distance with a proton torpedo, or you can even equip it with HLC if you feel more comfortable with that um, and have that big explosive attack. Um, the Rook can threaten from across the board uh, in chess, and I think that the identity for Ceriso are like a uh, a Rook piece in chess. So really, when we get into Rook definitions, we def I define the Rook as kind of the cousin to um, more of the Bishop, to be honest with you, than a Knight, right? Okay. Um, so we'll, I guess we'll put a pen in Ceriso a minute. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We're going to put a pen in Sarisu <laughs> and we're going to come back to Sarisu because um, I don't agree with you that it's a rook. But we'll come back once we get the rook definition. What other ships do you feel are knights or bishops? Um, another knight card, I would say, um, would be um, Harris and Dula um, in both iterations, either the B wing or the A wing, just being able to, um, to move on initiatives. Or most of the board has already moved and being able to provide those tokens to your other ships while she's able to 
um, to attack as well at higher initiative. I think that she would uh, fit the the rook category. All right. What else? What else comes to mind, George? As far as a knight goes, um, I was actually trying to think of uh, like less common factions here, but uh, yeah, it's not working. <laughs> All right, how about Colby? Does Colby fit that knight? It's tanky. It can move in different posi- different ways. It has the ability to perform the barrel roll or boost action. Right. And then you get to flip your other upgrade card. Right. Um, yeah. It is typically not you. Colby is not used as a screening <laughs> X wing. It is more of a, I'm going to come in as a kind of a special character piece inside of here. And I do think, I think when we talk about rooks and bishops, I think in fairness, um, we, there you go. Nabi, I agree with you. When we talk about rooks and bishops, we talk about the a lot of what we have in X-Wing, right? Like X-Wing is filled with rooks and bishops, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I say that not very lightly, but if we were to go into, let's pick a, what, what about um, First Order, right? We have Ember. Ember, to me, is, is more of a bishop. Ember is a long-range attacker, going to keep you in check. When it gets really close, it's going to, it's probably going to pop, but it's going to be worthwhile trading right um a wings and we we could talk about a wings and then we're gonna say not zz um what about a fireball a fireball which which one how about kaz Kaz? let's do kaz kaz in my opinion is a bishop i see kaz as a bishop and i say that because kaz gets the extra dice when needed if the, the, it's not damage, once you start taking damage and going after them, then Kaz would specifically start to kind of fall apart, right? Like Kaz loses its ability, but at that point, hopefully you've traded um, enough enough points, right, for Kaz. If we're talking about Jaeger, I don't know. Jaeger's probably a bishop. Um, what's the cheap one? What's the cheap one that nobody wants to Hard. buy? Bucket, R1J5. Yeah. yeah, the bucket droid. That's a pawn. <laughs> That's a pawn. <laughs> yeah. It's an expensive pawn, but it's a pawn. Um, you know, and, and so now how about the, and we haven't talked about Finn. We actually haven't talked about Republic at all. Dude. Let's talk about Finn a minute. Um, because this, this one will probably stimulate some discussion points. And then I'll bring up some stuff from first or more from first order and more from uh, Republic here. Finn. With its current loadout, would you consider a knight or a bishop? Uh, I would consider him a knight um, because, number one, he can't move as fast like a bishop should be able to. Um, And his ability does make him fairly defensive as well. And he can do some pretty good damage as well consistently. Um, I, I think because of his ability, he's definitely a, a higher than what a, a pawn would be. Um, so I would put him as a knight. All right, George, what's your thoughts? You you look like you're going to disagree here. Yeah, I think I disagree. I think it more specialized. I think a bishop falls in that category more. Um, really, it's just I think the maybe the cost and the initiative that bumps him down to a bishop because I I tend. 
I don't know about you. I tend to prioritize uh, knights over bishops, I think. I would probably agree. Do they not have Ahsoka in here? I cannot find Ahsoka in this thing. In what, Republic or Rebels? In Republic. Ahsoka doesn't fly in Rebels. Oh, I guess she, yeah, she yeah, does. She, yeah, she does. I'm trying to strengthen. Thank you. I could not get that to come off freezing on my screen. So here we have Ahsoka, right? Ahsoka, are you going to consider Ahsoka a knight or a bishop? George. Um... Off the bat, I would still say Bishop for Ahsoka, but oh yeah. man, that's a hard one. Yes, I think Bishop still. And I would agree. With you. <laughs> Definitely yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I agree with that. It's more of a Bishop, even though it does have something that, that supports it. Now, if we put her in an A-Wing, though, do you still consider her a Bishop? Or does she even transcend past the Bishop and the Knight category? Mm, that's that's toughy. I mean, she does have a lot better loadout value and a higher initiative in the A wing. Um, I I think she tr transcends. I think she does because she has the ability to push in damage with her uh, with the ordinance, and she also is able to coordinate other ships. Um, I, I think this this actually might be. Uh, I, I don't know. Dare I say a a queen? All right, I will one million percent disagree with that. She Whoa. is definitely not a queen. <laughs> I would at least bump her up to a knight as a as an A wing. Yeah. Okay. So in an A wing, I would almost consider her a rook. So I think we could put a pin in in That's hers too, yeah. and come back to that because I think I think the I five plus the loadout value makes her that. I think if you kill her loadout value, she becomes a rook. Then she's she's just she becomes this this high high initiative base piece. But with her current loadout, um, I think she could be easily fit into that rook. But we're we're gonna get to rook in just a minute. I I, I promise. I'm trying to make sure we cover as many ships as we can, um, because I feel that it's important, right? So remember, so JJ's job is to remember Ahsoka, A wing, and uh, yeah. Sarisu. How about Hound? Where where does Hound fit this? Is is it, is it considered a pawn? Is that what this is? Do we have a pawn? That they've given us for five points and a million loadout. Ooh, that's tough. Oh man, crappy dial, but amazing mechanic. It's the best support piece you're gonna have. I mean, in, offensively, in unless you equip it with like barrage rockets uh, to like boost its its attack, and I mean that's that's really putting a lot of points to just boost it by one die his value definitely comes from the support piece. Um, I, I think say it's a, it's a, I, I, I think Bishop is probably the right call. Mm. George? It's a, it's a glorified pawn to me. It's going to go down quick. That thing's not going to stick around too too long, in my opinion. So now, so I agree with you actually on that one. I, I would almost consider it two pawns in one somehow yeah but let's okay. let's talk about that a little bit for a second because i think that brings up an interesting point and remember at the beginning of this whole segment what did i say i said hey maybe we have a new category that doesn't belong in chess right like do we have a specialized type of category that chess does not have because they don't have a piece for it 
I'm not sold on that point yet, but hear me out. You have a ship, though. When you pair it with other ships, does it change what it is? So, for example, take Hound and put him with a bunch of V-Wings, right? It's It does okay. You put Seven Fleet Gunner on, you get a one, one little bit of initiative more. But when you put it with Jedis, right? When you put it with Jedis <laughs> that can eliminate something in one turn or two turns, you've created an extremely powerful piece. So what if we said Hound is designated a pawn, but based on the support pieces that go with it, moves him into that knight category? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. It's fair. All right. So disagree. we still don't have a new category yet, damn it. All right. No. <laughs> We just have we have a translucent hound. Was what we have, or or what do they call those? Shape is a shape changer. Hound's a shape changer, and I would consider all lats to, to typically be shape changers. Then at that point, all right. What about yeah. rush? Rush has a pretty bloody amazing ability, but you got to get damage to use it. Bishop knight, something different. Um, I. Uh, gosh, that's that's tough. Uh, um, its ability does make it very very good. I think it's a uh, it. It's a, a bad bishop that goes into a good bishop, <laughs> honestly, um, or or like a, a really good pawn that turns into a bishop. Um, it's uh, it's it's good when it gets damaged, and that's kind of its issue, right? Is that you have to sacrifice basically half of its health in order for it to become uh, I six, and then it becomes a very fragile. I six ship. Um, it can still do some work, obviously, because having initiative six is really good. But I don't think it transcends anything higher than a bishop. Fair enough. All right. <clears throat> Last one I brought up is Cad Bane, because Cad Bane also presents a very interesting, unique piece, both in Separatist and in Scum. Scum. So where do we feel Cad falls? George, your thoughts? There you go. I think uh, Cad actually falls within the Knight uh, category because of its ability to uh, have all different types of loadouts between bombs or missiles, and which supplements its attack prowess, um, its ability, uh, native ability to either pass on a token over to an, another ship, uh, affecting it indirectly, uh, which is right on cue for a Knight um or taking an action after the fact uh again being very uh movable i think that it's a solid night i'm i'm torn i think leaning more towards night but also considering it a rook depending on the loadout oh. all right yeah see see now you're speaking a little bit more my language so let's talk about rooks now <laughs> let's talk about rooks rooks are the first major piece that you have on your chessboard right a rook is different than a knight. It's essentially what I would call a beefier cousin to the bishop. They move in different ways, similar to bishops, so they're still somewhat predictable. They're not an unpredictable piece yet, but they're not meant to patrol like a bishop is. So a bishop is meant to patrol to kind of keep you in check. A knight is meant to kind of be spontaneous, a blocker, provide support, right? A rook is the guy that sits in the background and says, if you come at me, 
I'm going to punish you. I will 1 million percent punish you as hard as I can, right? And it's going to take advantage of the other pieces clearing out space so it can move. It is also, they are designed to come in, right, and help an opponent when it needs it, only to be traded if a more powerful piece, such as a queen, is available to take. Or multiple different pawns, rooks, or pawns, bishops, and knights. So if you could trade a knight for multiple pieces, you're in good shape, right? Rooks will come in. They're going to take and leave their opponent with less of an advantage. They're going to come in and do what is necessary, but only when it is needed. Rooks are part of the endgame piece to some extent, and if they are left to the very last, they will definitely take advantage of you and move your ship to the endgame. So yeah. let's roll back to CAD for a second. CAD, Rush is not play, Rush is playing checkers. You're killing me with your comments here. I'm very distracted <laughs> right now. CAD, I feel, fits into the rook category. And I, I agree that it could have different loadout, but I don't feel I feel a lot of the other loadouts are very unsuperior to some extent to what CAD is built to do. Not saying it's wrong if you build it with just bombs. Um, as a coordinator or you're building it with just like tractor beams and ion cannons and ion bombs to stop things, not saying that those are wrong, but I feel that CAD has a specific value when it brings it into a squad. And I feel the rook piece of it is where it's at. And, and I guess when we go back to, let's say an ion cannon, for example, or ion bombs, which is the way crispy loves to run them. You're using CAD as a control piece, which we don't have in chess control pieces a hundred percent there because you're trading one for one the majority of the time. Whereas we have th that's the difference between that and X-Wing. We don't, we have things that we use as a control style or control method for the game. I believe cat is a rook because especially in scum because of the denying of tokens, the fact that you can pass off your negative tokens and the fact that you can either hit hard or control an opponent to allow the other pieces to attack it. Thoughts? I think I think it, it is. On the nail, to be honest, I think that's yeah. how he was intended to be played. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think that the loadout definitely, um, his availability of different options at the loadout value definitely allow him to play that role a lot better. Um, and uh, with the definition of the rook. So, yeah, I, I do have to agree. Yeah. Now, now that we have that piece, right, right, now that we understand kind of, we talked a little bit about a, what a rook, what, what a rook is. And no, we haven't talked about rook the gauntlet. I mean, we should probably do that, though, because we, we should probably know where the gauntlets sit in this. <laughs> but <laughs> let's talk about Sarisu again and Ahsoka, right? So now that we've defined rook and we've actually defined that piece on the board and how it interacts, JJ, do you still feel Sarisu is a rook? She's a weaker rook, but yes, yeah, still a rook. All right. I'm going to disagree with that hardcore, but that's okay. How about Ahsoka? Do we feel Ahsoka's a rook? George. Ahsoka A-Wing? Yes, A-Wing. Only the A-Wing version. Only the A-Wing. Um Oh, decisions here. Um, 
man, I'm going to say yes on this one. All right. All right. So we <laughs> still feel that, that Ahsoka is a, a, a rook. Okay. And yep. I will tell you, I feel Ahsoka fits into the rook role better than Sarisu does. And I, and JJ, I apologize, but I just don't feel the, the Sarisu is a rook because Sarisu, I've watched Sarisu die in one shot, just done and gone, even with rerolls. Um, I've actually made Sarisu die in one shot last week um, without the rerolls. So, I, and so I, I, I agree that it could, that, that the style of it, but I don't feel with its health value that it allows it to be that rook piece that we're looking for because of the dial. And like, I don't know, it, it's just a feeling towards me, like the way that I feel also, because the feeling does come into it too, right? Like you, you feel better <laughs> <laughs> having Ahsoka later towards the game than you would if you had Sirisu, in my opinion. Like that's just how I would feel about okay. the game. So I think, you know. and that's true. Um, and I do think Ahsoka is kind of a borderline rook as well. Like I would consider her a bishop more or less, but depending on your play style and depending on how you move and use Ahsoka, could depend on her being uh, a rook. And, and I say that because I played a guy that plays Han, um, one of the VCXs. I uh, can't remember the name of it now. The traitor guy, whatever the traitor guy's name is from Rebels. What's oh, that guy's um, name? Um, it's not Vizier. It's it's a traitor. Callus. 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 Han and um, Ahsoka, like yeah. a three ship list like that. And like in that list, Ahsoka is definitely more of a rook than anything else. So, all right. What else? What what other rooks do we do we have? What what other things fall into that rook category? Well, I I think the gauntlets actually fit that role because they have the ability to carry different crew um, that uh, that increases their efficiency for that um, and late game those that large health on those on those big uh, gauntlets can do a lot of work um, and do a lot of damage. So yeah, I, I would say that the gauntlet itself will probably be under that category. Do you feel the gauntlet is a rook? no matter what pilot it is or or do different pilots fit into different categories i mean barring the generics um yeah i think so i think across the board i can't really think of like a deviation on the pilot um but i'll, I'll probably have to check the, the list of different uh, pilots there but i think that across the board yes I think so too. Um, just because of their, they're just going to stay on the board for quite a bit. Um, it does feel bad losing them because of their costs, but uh, yeah, that's. I think all all around, all across the board, I think they're the rooks. All right, cool. What about Eamon Azamine? Rook, bishop, knight. Where do you feel Eamon falls in here? Um, assuming that you're bringing Emon for the bombs and not just to have an I four fire spray, um, he falls within the knight category um, because his his main objective in the game is to try to hit you with as, as many bombs as possible, and his ability does help facilitate that. Um, so I think that's probably the correct role for Emon. All right, George. Um, 
I would say bishop for Iman. Ooh, he's very good. he's very specialized. I think uh, Iman can cause havoc. Uh, his approach is pretty straightforward. You kind of know what he's going to do. Um, so, yeah. Gatekeeper. So would yep. you also consider baby Boba or whatever we want to call young Boba, young man Boba, um, a bishop as well and not fit into that rook category? Yeah, I mean, his ability, you have to get his ability to work very, very reliably. And even then, I don't think that it will push him into the Brook category. Um, I think that he, he fits more as a uh, as a, a knight. All right. How about Chewbacca in the YT-1300? We've the, seen uh, Chewbacca just show up randomly. Are, and... are we talking about Rebel or Resistance? Resistance. Sorry. Um. Yes, as a rook. Yes, the resistance Chewy. I absolutely think that that is a rook. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the ability piece of it is kind of what pushes that into there because of what it can do. How about Leia in Rebels? Yeah, definitely a rook. Um, her ability with the Force, um, being able to take on other Force users. Uh, being able to provide uh, actions on a red turn or on a red maneuver for your other uh, other ships, uh, definitely a really good late game piece. And at initiative five, she's going to be doing quite a lot of work. So yeah. All right. How about Colvinell? Yeah. That's an interesting one, right? Mm -hmm. I love Kova. <laughs> because Kova can be both, yeah. right? Because Kova fits into yeah. aggressive attacking as well as a coordinator. Um, I think more of a bishop because it's more more attack oriented, um, rolling extra dice. But yeah, you're right. The coordinated ability is just ugh, it's really good. But I think you bring Nova as a solid like third ship to help attack and also do that coordinating, which can be more offensive minded. Uh, so I think it fits more into a bishop role than than the rook. Fair enough. How about Mace Windu? These are the last two we'll do, and then we're gonna move on to Queen. Uh, bishop, I think, more offensive minded. I would say, knife fighter. Yeah. All right. How about Van Reg? Probably a bishop as well. Uh, see, I disagree with that one. I think I Is see Van knight? Reg as a rook. A rook. Yes. Which uh, health though? I mean, Van Reg. I with a single protorp. You're right, but if you're if your von Reg's taking a protorp, you probably have a problem. Yeah, that's a strike with no chaff. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man. I see I see I see it because of the his ability, right? You get to transfer yeah. a token. He has double reposition. He's not quite a queen, in my opinion. We'll get to queen in a second. I think that kind of leads us into the queen discussion. He has the fine tooth thrusters, which make him so much more able to do it. And then he has the loadout points well, and extended to take two hull or a hull and a shield upgrade. <laughs> in, Gosh, in, in standard, it does crazy. not. Um, but yeah. so I see him as a, as a rook because he hits hard. He's an end game piece and he's one that will close it out for you. 
which now kind of leads us into queens. And JJ, if you want to start queuing up some people you think are queens, then we can argue about those, which is fun. To me, the queen is the quintessential piece that everybody knows in chess. It is your second major um, piece on the board, right? It is probably the second most valuable piece that you'll have, and you cannot sacrifice it without... Just wait, Nobby. We'll get to kings. You cannot sacrifice it without getting... without um, without taking other valuable pieces along with it. Otherwise, you could lose the game. This piece is so valuable, it has the ability to move over around the board and basically like every other piece but a knight. It can move any which way. You can trade it, obviously, with value and strategy, but without this piece, the player will have a less of an advantage and your opponent will have higher of an advantage to win. This piece is extremely versatile and can be used in many different situations. Now, I'm going to go ahead and define king a minute. And then I think we're going to come back to the queen king thing, because I think especially based on what Navi Navi is um, saying, there is there could be some discrepancy between what we see as kings and queens. A king is obviously the most important piece on the board. If you lose this piece, the match is over, right? In chess, game is immediately over. It doesn't contribute a lot. It just sits there as a tank for the whole game. This piece is considered to be one that you would keep alive to the end game, obviously to win. Now, I feel in X-Wing, our kings are a little bit different, right? Because you don't automatically lose a game per se if it's over, but your probability should be over 90%. We'll just call it 90%. If it's over 90%, you're going to lose. If you lose this piece, it becomes a king. I will also say the big difference between a king and like X-Wing is a, it, the maneuverability piece. We need to take that out of it. Because kings in chess move one space. <laughs> That's it. Except for yeah. when you castle. When you castle, it's different. And, and in reality, there would technically be zero kings because there's almost nothing that moves one space and is the most valuable thing in the world in X-Wing. But uh, so for second, Rao Shuttle. <laughs> <Finral> Shuttle. <laughs> All right. All right. No, nope. I disagree with you, but okay. Um, that's a good that's that's to some extent a, a pretty good example, though, right? Because you have something that if it does lose the game, you don't lose the game though. In a Fen, um, a Fen, what do we have? Fen, Cullaby, Wedge, uh, Luke game, you, your king does, if you lose Fen, it doesn't matter. You have the other three X wings that will destroy the shit out of you. Um, so essentially, a king is what you want to protect over your queen, right? But the queen is going to be more versatile. So does does everybody agree or feel that that is a proper analogy okay. to both yeah. of those? Yeah, I agree. Okay. I agree. Now, let's talk about Boba Fett and Scum. Because this one will probably merit the most discussion <laughs> out of all the pilots yeah. you have up there, maybe other than Vader. This is going to merit the most discussion on whether Boba is a queen or a king. George, you go first. Boba's king, in my opinion. You lose Boba, you're done. Might as well just forfeit the game. All right. JJ? I disagree. I think it depends highly on the list because, um, yes, he has nine points, right? However, that does leave a lot of room open for another big ship 
that can go in and be as effective as Boba in helping either control objectives or to uh, hunt down other ships. I mean, you look at half of the like gauntlets, um, they're very, very good there. Uh, Dengar, also another really great piece. I think Dengar probably fits the king piece more than Boba um, because of his effectiveness in, in offense. Um, Boba, while is really great at punching in, um, being at range zero has an inherent risk of damaging itself, um, being susceptible to having all those range one And we lose JJ again. Oh no! <laughs> yep, there you go. It's, it's in his name. Get those range one shots, and um, and and try to use his ability as much as possible to to like get those shots in there. Um, so I think that because of that, that makes Boba more of a queen um, than than a king in that case. All right. So I'm going to agree with both of you, and I think Nabi says it best. Boba plus second fire spray. When one dies, the when both are queens. When one dies, the other becomes king. And I think that's. I think with Boba Fett, I would actually say that is that is very true. So then we can move on to Wedge. I would argue Wedge is a rook. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, like I actually don't believe Wedge. Is I I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. So, so here's my here's my defensive wedge as a queen, right? All right? If you if you see a wedge across the board, you're you're immediately planning everything and trying to take out wedge, right? Because if you don't, uh, just like a queen, wedge can strike and take out any of your ships, right? Because these abilities, especially with a proton torpedo coming away from it, is going to be good. Wedge can then fly away if he needs to uh, disengage and make you chase it. And it's because the queen is probably the most uh, valuable piece on the board. I think Wedge does fit that ability. Granted, he's not as versatile as like a Boba Fett in terms of defense or getting a reliable boost all the time um, as an action. But I think that his ability, his presence on the board, if you're facing off a Rebel list that has Wedge, Wedge is going to be a priority because you may not have enough time um, for your ships to survive to turn your attention to him later on in the game. And if he's an end game piece left on the board against your ships, you're you're in trouble because he is very capable of the rest of your list if you leave him to the end. Rooks are part of the end game as well, and if left last, they will allow you to have more advantage in the end game than your opponent. <laughs> I don't know. That's what it's I wrote. A, That's what it came it's from. It's a very high tier rook for sure. Uh, I don't think he loses you the game if you if you do end up losing like wedge. So I don't think he's high enough to be a queen in my book. Yeah, I would agree with that. Vader is the king. I'm just, I just, I don't care what point cost he's at. I think Vader is a king. I'm sorry. Like, if you lose I, Vader, you you pretty much lose the king game. I actually meant to put uh, tie advance Vader instead of defender. Vader. Okay, I do agree that defender right. Vader is a king. Yeah, you're yeah. Tie advance Vader. I will agree with you as a queen. Um. Yeah. Damn, that's a great ship painting idea. Who wants to make my Vader defender look like a queen? Seriously, who, who wants to who, who, who wants to commission this shit? I have like three or two, I have two specially painted Vaders, but I would take a third 
Vader um, X1. I have like five of them, so I, I will take another one painted as a queen. So if anybody wants to hit me up later, let's let's discuss painting Vader as a queen. Ooh, all right. That would be great. So Defender Vader is a king. We could just move on from that. Anakin is unique, right? Because does Anakin fit into the the king category, or is it more of a queen category? Um, when you compare it across the other factions, I think it's a queen. Um, you're not going to lose the game if you lose Anakin. Um, the Republic has a lot of other ships that can put out a lot of damage. Um, in addition to what Anakin does, yes, he is probably the better out of all those ships. But if you lose Anakin, you're not losing the game. Um, so for that, I think that Anakin is a, a queen. George. I, I tend to agree. You're always on the you're always looking out for where the queen is and what the opponent can do with the queen, and I think Anakin falls in that category. So for sure, yeah, definitely a queen. All right. What about Poe? I think I can. I I, I feel Poe's a queen. I guess yeah. Like, no matter which one it is, I feel Poe's always a queen. Yeah, agreed. Both versions are are, are queens. Yes. How about Jango Fett? That's a that's an interesting dilemma too, because technically there's enough in Separatists. If you lose Jango, you can still win. But that's a hard one. I, I think George is probably more qualified for this, you know, <laughs> judging on your list. What, what do you think, George? Uh man. I would still say that if I end up losing that it also depends on when i lose django um losing him late game done he's a king uh, i think once i lose him he's gone i can't i can't come back from that it just depends when i lose him <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah yeah i think the uh i, I think that if you're for, if you're making it either into a three ship list right mm -hmm. like two fire else he's definitely a king same thing if you're filling it out with a bunch of droids it's still your heaviest hitter um yeah i, I definitely have to agree that i think jango's is the king yeah how about kylo ren mm. i think in both fields because of his fits queen yeah it, because of his points cost uh, well yeah, I think he's still a queen I, either way. I mean, because it's seven points versus six points on either side. Um, the you, question, you still though, have is a lot of other options. Can you build enough around him to do enough damage? If you lose Kylo, you win. That's the key. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, it, it does heavily depend on what what pilots are going around him um, to help support him, because you can set him up as a queen piece or you can set him up as a king piece as well, just depending on what other ships are in that list. Um, so, yeah. yeah, he's highly dependent on that. Yeah. George, what about ZZ? We're going to give it to you so you can piss Nobby off. Where do you feel <laughs> ZZ falls into this one? Oh, we got a big fan of ZZ here. Uh, ZZ, um, I'm going to <laughs> I'm gonna have to go Rook on this one. Oh, oh wow. no. That's, wow. that's too high praise. Ooh. I still think he's a bishop. No, you shoot one procket. You no. shoot one procket, and that's it. You, nope. You're done. All right. All right. So I'm gonna get my <laughs> defensive ZZ as a queen. I feel ZZ's a queen. Period. I believe the ability makes it 
makes ZZ a queen. And unless you fly ZZ like shit, ZZ never dies. Ever. I would I would consider Rook to some extent just because um, of what it is, but because of ZZ's maneuverability, personally, and the ability to upgrade a lot of these things, yes, you're right, a procket means nothing, but have you ever tried cluster missiles on ZZ? Has anybody ever like actually done that? Has anybody ever actually taken ZZ and done anything other than prockets? Well, I know somebody that has. Um, but I feel I'm going to go with ZZ as a queen. Um, even if it's a low ranking queen, that's kind of what I feel with. I would accept Rook as, as, as an answer for 200 points as well. But, um, <laughs> how about Ray then? Let's, let's classify Ray. You, you feel ZZ's a bishop. What about Ray? Uh, what's Ray's points right now? Seven or eight? Eight. Eight. You can still fit a, a bunch of Y wings on there. Um, I would definitely categorize her more in the queen category um, because often enough, I guess Django can also fall in this, but um, yeah, you're pairing her up with another strong ship like Poe or something like that. So I think, yeah, she's a queen. Yeah, I think I, I have to agree. What about Grievous, baby? What is Grievous? Get back in the night category. Come on. Oh, no. all right, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> no. All right, He's we're meeting J. We just muted JJ. Don't worry. He he can't He's talk at all rug. for the rest of the podcast. Yeah. George, where do you feel Grievous fits in at? Confidently can say he's a rook. 100%. All right. So what would move him out of up to the queen category then? Uh, if he had maybe a higher um higher pilot skill, obviously that would bump him up in points, but I think higher pilot skill would definitely um consider him a queen. All right, JJ, where do you feel Grievous comes in at? Uh, uh, definitely a rook. Uh, in order for it to be a queen, it has to have more. He has to not breeze up on us. <laughs> All right, last one we have is Luke, and I kind of started the show off saying Luke was a queen, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, while JJ reboots, George, your thoughts on Luke? Uh, yeah, I would agree. Um, it hurts to lose Luke just like it would a queen. Um, yeah, that's my opinion. I, I, I think his ability is too strong. Um, you don't want to lose him at all. He's hard to kill, but, um, yeah, his point cost is what bumps him up to a queen. Otherwise I would put him a rook to be honest. Yeah. And I, I think we can agree. Most, most of the X-wing pilots would be considered rooks. Yeah. Most of the time, that's kind of where they fit into. I think ZZ, like I said, ZZ on the other hand, or not Z, well, ZZ, yes. But um, Luke, on the other hand, has that ability um, that is just so prevalent. Like, you can lose him. It's not the end of the world if you do, but you really better trade him for something good. Otherwise, you're going to regret that. And if you lose both Wedge and Luke at the same time, you're just screwed. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now we're going to get into list building a little bit, right? So we, we, I commissioned and so this is how likely I like to plan. I commissioned to get unique lists and there, and I asked for unique lists specifically because I wanted to have a conversation about them, right? I wanted to talk about unique lists. I think JJ's frozen. So, um, no, I'm here. Okay, good. 
I wanted to talk about unique lists, and then I kind of want to talk about how the different pieces that we just talked about fit into these lists, right? And, and the reason I asked for a unique list over metal list was because I think it's interesting when we talk about what we like to fly or what we're building that's like unique and fun and great. Um, you you would really 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 love to put on the table and be competitive, but at the same time nobody's flying that style of list. And, and I think it's interesting when we talk about these different pieces and how they go together, because I think next week when we get into how do these pieces list building get together and fit together, we could talk a little bit more um, in depth about it. But I feel when we talk about these unique lists, I think they kind of give us a little bit of um, insight into how somebody's building a list, right? So to begin with, the first list we have comes from Let the Wookiee Win. Um, from the Nickel City League and from Nickel City Squadron, or I don't know, do we have a Nickel City Alliance? Is that like how this works? Like we all part of the Nickel City yeah. Squad now? All right, cool. Yeah. Um, Team Havoc. So, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, Chris has gave us a unique list, um, which I've definitely, honestly, never seen. Um, so the first piece of that is Luke, right? And we already considered Luke a queen. We don't even have to talk about what Luke is. Is trick shot, shattering shot, proton torque Luke. So there you go. That's done and over with. That piece is standard. We then have Kraken with elusive and plasmas. Fen with the child and R4 astromech. And then Ezra in the gauntlet with notorious R2D2, veteran tail gowner, contraband, and Knight Brother. So we have a Rook and a Queen that we've already defined. We now have Fen and Kraken. Where do you all feel these fit? Overall, I do like this list a lot. Um, you do have two, uh, you have your, your Queen and Luke, and, uh, and then you have your Rooks, uh, and Ezra and uh, Fed Rao, and then Iron. I'm, I'm not sure how I would classify Iron. Um, I mean, typically when you think of a Z95, you think of it as a pawn, but Iron's ability to coordinate and also uh, like shoot pretty good um, kind of elevates this more into like a bishop type role, I would say. Um, so I, I think that that's where I would place Iron Kraken at as a, as a bishop. Yeah. Uh, so a bishop, Fen would probably also fall in that category of either a knight or a bishop. See, I would see Fen as a knight. Knight, yeah, okay. Yeah. I would see Fen as setting up um, not as much the blocks, but setting up the rest of the team to be able to take out the opponent. So, so JJ, you like the list a lot. What is What is Ezra... Ezra's ability and how did, is there anything unique about his ability interactions with the rest of the the team here? Well, I th I would look as a, uh, Ezra is probably the objective getter in this game. This is the ship that's going to last the longest. It's going to matter in the end game because of its large amount of hole um, and or health rather for this one here and his ability allows it to remain it very defensive, especially if you're doing a full stop, uh, being able to use contraband cybernetics in those moments to um, to either like take a, an action to clean an objective um, or take a target lock and then use Knight Brother to get that focus. You can end up double modded. 
Um, and then his ability allows you to change two focus results into either hits or evades and offense or defense. Uh, so his shot can be the finisher after Luke and Iron has had their time to take their shots at a particular enemy there. Um, so very, very solid work on this one, I think, just because of its its potential to to matter later on in the game. Um, and if your opponent decides to try to like try to take out Ezra uh, early on, it has the rest of the list to contend with, and it's going to be very difficult to take Ezra down. All right, cool. So I like this list too. I think this is a very interesting take um, on a lot of the other lists that you know kind of we've been seeing, um, and I think this would be very unique to put into the on the tables for Rebels and a. Chris, if you're listening and, and um, you've put it on the table, we'd love to know your thoughts back against this. And maybe this is something we'll see in Nickel City League next next month. Yeah. All right. The next one is called CIS Bruisers. It's from Crispy. George, why don't you, uh, you know, does George even have access to any of these lists? No. Uh, no. <laughs> All right. Well, JJ, you go ahead and read this one. Um, and we'll go from there. Sure thing. Uh, let me just pull this up here. Stand by. I have a delay on my end. All right. There I will. So okay. it's uh, we got Django Fett here in the fire spray with Trick Shot, Jamie Bean, uh, Savage Press, Electra Traff, Contraband, the title, and Veteran Tail Gunner, Grievous without maneuver, Impervium, and then Pre Vizsla with Marksmanship, Bokatan. Veteran Tail Gunner, uh, Death Watch Commandos, and the Swivel Wing. Um, I, I think you have a case here of two rooks uh, guarding their queen in Django Fetch. Uh, a very solid archetype. Definitely a lot of shots that can be taken by both uh, the queen and the rooks. And uh, and it's going to force your opponent to make uh, different decisions. These are ships that can last a long time um, and that can put out a lot of damage. So George, what's your your feel on this one? Um, I played. I actually played against this. I tested it out against Crispy. Um, pretty solid list. Um, do death do Death Watch Commandos count as little pawns? Yes. I would say so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, him dropping those uh, in the middle of the field to just kind of to get more arcs on my ships is uh, was pretty pretty interesting. Cause you don't want to shoot at the little pawns, but then if you leave them hanging, they're just going to get you. Um, so it was an interesting list, <clears throat> but I would agree in the two rooks and a queen basically. All right. Fair enough. The next one is from Sandy. This is a Dengar Q9 Emun list. Emun has proxies, gamut, FTC, Marauder, skilled bombardier, to make Iman even more angrier than than he usually is. The child on Q9, the Mandos, BT1, Babu Frank, and the Razor Crest. And can we start calling him Babu Frank? Like, can we just do that? Like, can that be his new nickname? Is Babu Frank? <laughs> hey, Frank, Frank. Right, sorry. He's your um, oldest friend. Yes. Dan then Dengar with Notorious. Proton Torpedoes, it's Contraband, Boba Fett Gunner, which I think is, I think that's, that. this has got to be an extended list, right? Is Boba Fett Gunner? Uh, oh, okay. He's the baby Boba. 
Okay, okay, okay. All right. Punishy one yeah. and R3. So what do you what do you feel about this one? So so to me, so you have Dengar. So everybody's worth seven to six. Iman, I think we classified as definitely not a queen or a king. Q9 is kind of the same thing. I feel Dengar in this one, um, there's that possibility. I think those Proton Torps are very aggressive on Dengar, right? And that means Dengar has a, a purpose to joust you, to get in your face, and hopefully not die. Am I incorrect in saying that? Like, that's what that feels like, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right there. Um, and I think this is similar to like the crispy list where we have two rooks trying to protect the queen uh, to come in there and take it out. I don't think that if you lose Dengar in this particular list that you automatically lose the game. Uh, Q9 and Iman um, are still very, very strong ships. They're not going to produce as much offense as Dengar does, um, but uh, but they're there to, to help uh, take away some of the fire from Dengar and, and try to win the game that way. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> like my eye would be on Dengar on this list. Like try to take him down before he does any sort of uh, punishment on you. Shenanigans. Yeah. yeah. All right. The next one is called Boba Bus. Came from us from um, a newer viewer, Rizzle. They have a Cad Bane, Boba Fett, and Lots Razi list. Uh, yeah, definitely uh, an interesting list here. Um, I mean, are you gonna read it or are you just gonna let us like imagine it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry, uh, I'm loading up the list here myself. Here, okay, but, uh, yeah, so here we, we go. go. I'll read it in the road class. Yeah, go ahead. You're, you're killing me, JJ. Sorry, dude. <laughs> All right, so we have Canbane with Ion Cannon, HLC, Xanadu Blood, Proxy Mines, and Zuckus. Boba Fett with Notorious, Proxies, FTC, Marauder, Veteran Tail Cunner, and Perceptive Copilot. Lots Razi with Ketsu, Ahsoka, and Contraband. Um, honestly, I think this is a case where I, it feels like Boba Fett is the king in this particular list here. Um, I don't feel confident that Cad Bane and Lots can carry the rest of the game if boba goes down um i i guess it would just depend on the list that it's facing um mainly because lots doesn't have the ability to, to like continuously keep time on target even though it has a 180 degree arc but once you get behind lots you're just gonna have a hard time keeping time on target and cat being as, as good as he is not having the ability to do a hard turn with um if it's stressed to clear that is also going to have a hard time uh, keeping time on target there as well. Um, so I, it feels like Boba is the strongest point of this particular list, and if he goes down, then it's it's going to be a tough time for the rest of the list. Uh, I mean, I would say Boba is definitely the king for sure, based on just the point, the sheer number of points. Um, however, I also feel like that's a trap, like going after Boba, um, based on the setup and everything else that's going on. Um, because if you leave that Latrazi hanging around, um, even though you're able to kind of dodge arcs kind of fairly easy, it's not a very maneuverable ship. If you leave that hanging, 
on your flank for whatever reason, you're you're just gonna have a bad day. Um, but yeah, other than that, like it's Boba's the king, <laughs> stays king. Yeah, and I think I agree with you with that. I mean, because you have lots Rousey with Ketsu, right? And at the start of the end phase, you may choose an enemy at range zero to two in your fire units. If you do, it doesn't remove a tractor token, right? Um, though, where are they getting the tractor tokens from? From lots. Lots of ability. You can spend a target lock they have on a ship and assign okay. an attractor token. Awesome. Actually, that's even better. So, so lot. Yeah. So there you go. So you have Boba's King, which I agree 100% with. You lose Boba, this list falls apart. But at the same token, like George said, it, it is a trap. If you get into there and you try to take Boba out and you can't, you're screwed because here comes Lats from one side and Cad from the other side. And I think Cad in this list is a solid rook because you have a. You have a, a a neutralizer as well as a heavy hitter. And I do feel as long as if Boba passes, as long as there's enough that he takes with them, then Cad can close it out. Lots cannot, though. <laughs> but Lots has a sweet mechanic. Think about Lots coming in from that side with Boba in the center, and Lots comes in on that side and just tractors you. Oh, man. Can you imagine Boba's just going to eat you alive? And he's got proxy mines, too. Yeah. So you got to watch out yeah. for that. Mm, tasty. All right. Next one is Nobby's Nonsense. What? We have a <laughs> Ray Poe ZZ list. ZZ with Magpulse Warheads, Shield Upgrade because you got to keep it alive. Ferrisphere Paint, which we're going to talk about Ferrisphere Paint in a second because I love that card. And I've been using that card since um, Crossroads. But then we have Poe in the T70 with Ferrisphere Paint again, Munitions Failsafe, Overdrive Thrusters. Proton Torpedoes, R4, and Predator, and Black 1. So there is no, there is no, no, no heroic here. Then we have Ray, which I'm thinking the 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 X-Wing gods here, because there is no Finn on this list at all. And I hate Finn so much. We have Ray, though, with Heightened Perception, Trick Shot, Rose, um, Holdo, and Ray's Millennium Falcon. Remind me what Holdo does again. Well, we could bring that card up, right? Holdo is the one that allows you to transfer tokens from one to the other. Okay. Oh, I should probably... Okay. Um, hold on, let me... So, there you go. Um, so, side note on that particular interaction, this is something that's actually been discussed on a few of the rules forums uh, recently. Um, so, essentially, um, as it's ruled currently, I you can... So if an enemy uh, target locks, let's say Poe, and Ray's in range, you can use Holdo to now transfer that lock. Uh, oh, sorry. If you if somebody target locks Ray um, and Poe's in range, you can essentially have Holdo transfer that lock over to Poe, and Poe can pass over another token. Then Ferrisphere Paint will trigger at that point, um, and if they don't have uh, Poe in Bullseye, then they either have to take a stress or break the lock. Um, so that's a nice little interaction there uh, for for this particular list here. That being said, um, this feels like a more balanced list. Uh, I, I mean, I think you have two queens uh, in this particular list, uh, and with a solid uh, a solid bishop. Uh, I think being got able three to, queens uh, in this list. Yeah, 
I was going to say, <laughs> according to earlier, we have three queens. <laughs> no, you guys decided ZZ was a queen. I, I did not agree to that. No, heck no. <laughs> that's because that's you don't see the power of ZZ. You, my friend. I do, but green ZZ dice are wine. green dice. And I, right. I honestly think this is actually a, a good list. I do like that interaction of Holdo with first year paint. Uh, I don't think it's bad at all. Absolutely. Nope. And that's a, that's 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 hilarious. I did not know that whole no I didn't know you could do that. And that's some cheeky shit right there. That's some scummy stuff. It's just saying. It is. it is. All right. The next one we have is from Jedi Alex One. We have Anakin, a Delta Seven with shattering shot, trick shot, extreme maneuvers, and R seven A seven. Um, that is a very four-star of Luke. Um, Barris Ophi in the 7B with Brilliant Evasion and R2-D2. Mace with Heightened Perception, R4-P17, and CLT. And then Ahsoka with CLT, R2-C4, which we don't see very often, and Heightened Perception. Yeah, I'm curious about the R2C4 selection in this particular one, because uh, that's the one that you can spend an evade token to change a focus into a hit. Um, other than that, I mean, yeah, Anakin obviously is the queen, and this one here, um, even if you lose any, you're not losing the game, um, and you still have very capable fighters in Barris, Mace, and Ahsoka. Um, Barris and Mace probably feel more like Brooks in this case. Um, I, I, I don't know. That's a stretch, I think. Um, and then Ahsoka as a solid uh, bishop. Yeah, I don't see Mace as as a rook. I see, M M I don't, I see Mace coming in as a bishop most of the time. Do you think Barris also comes in as a bishop as well? I think with this build, it does. I think if you drop Brilliant Evasion, um, and do a different do a different upgrade, I think I think it changes some of that a little bit. Um, but I guess she yeah. doesn't really honestly have any other points. I like the R2D2 build. Um, actually, I mean, it a is lot. a 7B, so it is a little more tankier than the, the Delta 7s. Yeah. It, it, she is a possible. The problem is, is because she's only an I4. If she was an I5, I would easily put her as a rook. Like, honestly, like she would easily fit that rook. I think the brilliant evasion, I think you, you trade it in for patience, and, and really she's she she becomes a bishop for you. Um, it's really weird not having a hound in this list. Um, yeah. I've never ran Ahsoka 7B or I'm sorry, Barris 7B, but it makes sense. Um, and this is where I wish we had like team up cards, right? So like we can have a Barris Ahsoka team up card. And then like, if you, if it's like at the end game, um, flip this card, if you're at round eight and Barris then can only attack Ahsoka, <laughs> you know, like yeah, Barris exactly. turns on you. Oh, we could have so much fun with that. All right, next list I have, and this will be our last list that we have, is uh, I3 scum list that JJ did not invent, but um, yes. we both have faced this list, actually, <laughs> like on TTS. Oh, like, you did too? Yeah, I played nice. against somebody that played this the almost exact list. Um, I don't know if it's exact the same list, but it's, it's, it's very close to the same list. This is a gamut with Protector at Gleb, Deadman Switch, Manaru with Notorious, Gar Saxon, R5PB, and Contraband and Punishing One, Leighton with Crackshot and Heavy Laser Cannon, 
Quinjest with Crackshot and Thread Tracers, and then Lots Razi with Enduring, which I don't remember being on there, but could have been. Fenral, Ketsu, Contraband, and Houndstooth for the hell of it. Yeah, uh, this list surprised the hell out of me um, uh, when I faced it. Um, the again, uh, that Lats Razi combo of being able to um, to get tractor tokens off of target locks works really, really well, especially with Quinn Jost, uh, that can actually use his ability to reload the threat tracers, um, and making sure that everybody has target locks on them, uh, from this one. The other spicy part of this particular list, too, is Gar Saxon on Manaru being able to spend somebody else's target lock on that ship to add that fourth die um and it is really really strong especially you've managed to get that um that uh that lots uh tractor off into manaru's arc my goodness manaru is punishing um after lots uh gets that ability off there and gamaki of course is there just to support the other ships there to um to make sure that they have the tokens that they need there um this i mean when you compare it to other ships, these these ships feels like a bunch of like knights and and bishops, but when you put them together, they feel like they're they're better, like than than we see them individually, and that's that's what makes it hard to like qualify this particular list. Yeah, I flew the Previsla Grievous, um, Previsla Grievous Django list against this, and only lost because they were able to take out Previsla at the very end. But this is a dirty list like this list, like and this list. If you look at this, you would be like, who would run this? Like I I, the first thing like they put this on the board. I literally discounted this. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And then they were telling me like a lot of it's because the initiatives line up. And that was why. No, no, no. That's that's false. That is 100 percent. That is not why. Like when I found out that Gar Saxon could take the lock, somebody else's locks, they just like I couldn't figure out why everybody was just target locky. Well, I, I figured out why after that, <laughs> like after that, that was, that was pretty easy. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I would say this is all a, an, all of a rook list, but I, w- I would definitely say this is like, none of these are pawns in this list and no, none of them all. are Queens or Kings. Um, this is a very heavy knight um, Bishop Rook list. Um, and, and I feel Ooh. that, Go ahead. Who who's your rook in this in this list? Uh, I feel Manaru's your rook in this list. Yeah, that's okay. to, to me. Manaru's the rook in this list, and 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 before I would never consider Manaru a rook, really. Um, but I feel in this list, Manaru's a, a heavy rook. If you if you try to kill him right away, you regret it. We'll just put it that way. Yeah. Okay. But that's how you. That's and that's <laughs> interesting because that's who you want to kill first, but. Uh... Yeah. yeah, is definitely not the if you're looking and this gets into other things that we could talk about in later episodes. Mm-hmm. But this is that's not the person you want to kill first. You want to get rid of. You want to remove lots and Quinjest immediately. Like Quinjest, yeah. like really Quinjest. I didn't know you could crack. Sh- I was crack shotted on a fucking thread tracer. Excuse my language, but I like. <laughs> I, I was like, what are you doing? Oh, that's right. And then here comes Gar Saxon. Oh, here we go. I'm just going to take that lock. And, you know, I get four dice now. Oh, next turn, four dice. And it's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. You got to absolutely be kidding me. 
yeah, um, it, it's it's a interesting situation because like your first instinct is to go for Manaru, but like again, sort sort of like that other list we were looking at with Boba Fett being the trap. Manaru is the trap in this case uh, because yeah, the the support ships are hanging around and they got to go down. <clears throat> yeah. And Manaru somewhat does fill that king role a little bit. Like, if you do lose Manaru in this list, I think this, like, as long as you haven't lost a lot of ships, you 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 are going to have a hard time with this list taking the rest of the game with it. Like, you really are. But if Manaru and the rest of the, the squads are able to take out, let's say, half of your list, like eight points of your list, you lose. It's, it's not even a question at that point. I like that list, though. And, and I am very, I'm, I, I don't I just don't have enough time to play things. I really want to put that list at the table though. Like that list was so fun to watching somebody fly that list against me. I was like I was seriously cursing the whole time in my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got to hide that list. I, I'm sure a couple of locals here would want to fly that. Yeah. If I Charles mean, were here can, tonight. You, you can find your, you know, your planning phase syndicate YB as lots to say. <sighs> Oh, oh, there we go. oh, so jealous. So <laughs> jealous. You know what I need? I need a planning face and I should that's why I really just need to get back with Pim and pay him the money to paint my um one of my my fire sprays. Planning face and a kid fire spray. Because like I actually fly fire sprays all the time. Like all the time. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, thank you so much, uh, George, for joining us tonight. Um, it was a pleasure to have you on to to talk a little bit about uh things outside of just our tournament and Nova and stuff like that. And to get like a different perspective on um, how we see different theories inside of it. Do you have anything you want to plug real quick before we, we take off? Is there anything on your docket that you didn't have? No, no, I'm good. I, I appreciate you guys having me on it again here. I feel welcome. So yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> awesome. Well, quick yeah. shout out or quick reminder. If you're still listening and we're still watching, we have Michigan GT X-Wing Championship. And George, you should fly up for this. It would be fun to hang out with you in person. You're not allowed to fly your, your, your list, though, to win against us. But um, you can pick a different <laughs> list to win against me with. Um, we have a tournament coming up October 1st, which is a Saturday in Lansing, Michigan. Ticket prices are $40, but there is insane amount of prize support. Essentially, the way it's going to be done is we have a Mandalorian kit. We have, I believe, 15 to 17 people signed up currently right now. I haven't checked in a while, but we have 15 to 17 people signed up. And essentially what's going to happen is it's an extended tournament with the band list. But you're able to basically come. Everybody will get some sort of prize. And then what we've done is basically every time we hit five more people, we add a set dollar amount to the prize support. And what will happen is at the beginning of the day, when we find out how many people are there, me and uh, Ken and one of the other guys are going to go purchase stuff for prize support. So you should be walking away with at least half of your ticket price in prize support. No questions asked. So with that being said, uh, if you would like to, please come play against me and beat my ass, especially if you live in Canada or Indiana or Ohio or wisconsin or chicago come 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 beat me i will not be flying i don't know maybe i, I think i'm gonna be flying my fun list we never got to my fun list we did we we never did um but it's 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 after 11 and i feel yeah i feel yeah. it's probably time send me that list in the show so send me that separate list list i will have. i'll send it to you I'll, we'll, we'll have a conversation about it in a second here george so um <laughs> 
For anybody else that's wondering, maybe if you want to join our Patreon, we have a Patreon-only thing. I'll give away all the weird, crazy lists that we build in the background that we have that we never get to play, um, except for this one. So, that being said, thank you all. Have a good night. We will be back next week, Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern, with a another show where we'll be talking more about chess theory and how it applies to X-Wing. With that being said, have a good night, and see you later. See ya.